passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. It is John Pollock and Wei Ting. And today, we are going to discuss SmackDown. We might even get to 205 Live. How are you, Wei? Well, I'm doing well. Doing pretty decent. Pretty good. I'm doing great. What has your last uh, day been like? Oh, my God. It's been nonstop. Like, wow. It's been way busier than I ever imagined. Just, um... Uh, honestly, a lot of it's just responding to people. So thank you, everybody, for... Ah, I'm just so amazed at, like, the the outpouring of support. And not just that, but just from, from people who are experts in a lot of the, the things that we're in particular, particularly interested in now. Um, and reaching out to us, uh, offering their help. So thank you. Please keep it coming. I'm learning so much. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting to see just the wide array of people that have listened to our shows and their own personal backgrounds of kind of, uh, you know, trying to help us along. That's been very vital and very uh, helpful as well. I am not exaggerating when I say like I, I'm kind of um, an antsy person when it comes to uh, getting back to people. And oh, yeah. I, I, I'm not exaggerating when I say I have heard like between Twitter, email, like direct messages thousands plural is the amount i have heard from and Mm -hmm. i'm trying to get back to people and it's just it's overwhelming it's uh all of this is uh somewhat overwhelming and i way i will uh i will break the fourth wall here and you are aware of this when i'm not on this show i am a rather introverted person so being you come on i you you might not uh think of me as such but i am not the most uh i am not someone that covets attention so this this week has been a little weird in that sense for me i i I can see that i get that yeah but uh but still found time to watch smackdown we did find time to watch smackdown yeah which i don't know what it was it wasn't until about four o'clock when i saw you on tuesday that i realized it was halloween on tuesday that's how out of it mm, I am. Yeah, yeah. We Honestly, were sitting, we were sitting in a cafe, and these kids walked by in costumes, and it was like, oh, it is Halloween actually today. It's October the thirty-first, and boy, did WWE remind me on Tuesday night. See, I had put that Chad Too Bad and Tex Ferguson match out of my memory hmm. for Halloween-themed events, yeah. and then Tuesday they were out in full force. I don't know if you watched Two Hundred Five Live, but man, they tried to one-up the tag match from Raw. Oh, I I missed that. I can't wait to hear about it. Oh, you're going to hear about everything. Okay. But SmackDown, from the home of Nate Milton, Virginia, Norfolk. I think that's the right way to say it, yeah. Norfolk. Mm Mm-hmm. 
this also saw the return of Tom Phillips back or Michael Cole was dressed up as Tom Phillips and had the best Halloween costume of anybody on WWE programming on Tuesday night. Well, Kofi Kingston begs to differ. Oh, man. We'll get to that one. Shane McMahon came out and the place is chanting for Shane. They love this guy. He wishes everyone a happy Halloween. And he says that Raw has always looked at SmackDown as the inferior brand. And that belief exists at the top with Stephanie all the way down to the bottom. And says that Raw got double the picks in the draft last year. He goes over the roster they assembled and they had a team meeting. And they decided as a unit, we're going to fuck up Raw. And kick them right in the mouth. And once again, for the second straight week way, we got an audience chant of under siege. I can't believe that this tagline has taken off with these fans. You know what? I mean, under siege is actually a a pretty chantable, uh, I guess, tag, isn't it? It's three syllables. Um, it's kind of fun to chant. That was always Edge's biggest regret, he said, was not having a chantable name. He didn't think that out when he became Edge. Mm. Not a very chantable name. I mean, you can do Let's Go Edge, but we're not really in the era of Let's Go Blank, unless it's the back and forth, the dueling chants. I don't know Uh, if Sexton would have made for a much better chant. Sexton works. Hard cast. No, I don't think it works. Hard. That's that's, that's an even worse. (laughs) We want Sexton. I guess so. (laughs) Uh, Shane says that SmackDown Live has heart. And then he goes over Daniel Bryan's attack from Raw and said that Angle and Stephanie didn't even care about Daniel Bryan. He was just taken out like a slab of meat on a stretcher. And there will be hell to pay. He tells Kurt to bring his gold medals, tells him to bring Braun Strowman and the three other members of the team, which... Am I drawing a blank? Was Braun added to the team on Monday night? They announced it uh, at the beginning of the show here. I don't think they, he announced it at the end. And, and, and they showed Kurt tweeting it. So, okay. Yeah, off air. There you have it. Shane says he's going to have Randy Orton, three other members of SmackDown, and he, Shane McMahon, will be the team captain. And this did not receive a big reaction when he announced it. It was kind of just a lukewarm reception to Shane announcing he would be the captain, but... As expected, Shane and Kurt will be the captains on each side. I don't know if it's maybe um, maybe lukewarm because of you know people not being interested in Shane, but for me, I guess I didn't react too much to it because it was a given. You know, uh, if you read the angle, if you uh, see Kurt Angle being a captain of the the other team, you could only expect Shane being the, the captain of this one. That's how I kind of took it. Our first match of the night. Hold on a second. Before we even like uh, move on to the next one, we should talk a bit about Shane. Um, how did you think he did here? About Shane? Um, fine. I think Shane is very good in these promo situations. Uh, the audience is genuinely uh, behind this guy. This I, was a fine promo to start the show. I At think, the end of it, though, it was like you're building up to this announcement at the end, and I just didn't think the audience... Uh, peaked at the end like this was some big announcement but you're probably right they saw it coming and yeah. i think there's also the idea that this whole thing is centered around your your gms as well that are kind of placed mm-hmm. at a tier above your your talent for me i thought this segment was 
the their chance to finally explain why uh, the attack took place. I feel like this was something that they probably should have done last week, right after the attack. Uh, you know, a week later, okay, whatever. I'm still kind of critical uh, of the lack of explanation for the attack at the beginning, but I was quite satisfied with the explanation given here. You know, they addressed... Uh, you know, Shane talking to, to the whole roster and citing the reasons about why, you know, they feel the SmackDown's been overlooked their entire time as as an inferior brand. It's still a little tough for me to believe at times, you know, uh, guys like a Baron Corbin or whatever. But OK, I've I've given up on that. Uh, I'm thinking too much. Sure. Why not? I if you if I suspend my disbelief enough and to think that Shane spoke to all those guys back back there and somehow gave this amazing incredible rallying speech better than probably Paul Heyman did at, at the at that first ECW show better than Martin Luther King maybe okay great I can buy it so at least they went the distance to to give a, a decent explanation and I think Shane is actually quite underrated as a babyface GM. Because he's not just, you know, he's not a Jack Tunney type babyface GM. He's a babyface GM who also happens to have balls. He's like a good, young, charismatic leader. Yeah, I'm not as forgiving as you with some of the the way we have just force-fed our way into this in the matter of uh, nine days. Because I feel that when we do, first of all, this roster, I think half of the SmackDown roster has been, was probably drafted to Raw to begin with. That we've seen these rosters uh, shake up. I think this would have been more impactful if you had one solidified roster from the draft onward. And I feel as well, this is a small thing. I think if you had kept talking smack, I feel that you could have been planting seeds for this for weeks and weeks of talent, just making offhand comments, building this up, much like AJ did during that one appearance on Talking Smack, saying that this is where we make stars and Raw takes them. And you could have had lots of sentiment from all of these performers, regardless of babyface or heel delineation. And it would have had, to me, a more logical explanation at the end of all of this of why you would have people like Baron Corbin and AJ Styles working together. Because on a show like that, you can go outside of your on-screen storyline to give your character some motivation of why you are loyal to the SmackDown brand. And why when we do a superstar shakeup, there should be some dissent amongst the talent that is forced to leave their brand that they're willing to take hostage and, and attack from behind and Pearl Harbor. Pearl so this Harbor. Is something, yeah. Well, I haven't heard I that know. one in a while. Is that a outdated term? A little. Well, uh, all I'm saying is that for me to get over this kind of an invasion, it's something that you have to pay attention to, I think, year round for maximum impact and not just suddenly the day after uh, the TLC pay-per-view. Well, it's time for the month where we're feuding. Certainly, certainly. I, I, I feel like I'm sure, you know, it kind of all reeks definitely of them trying to fill holes that uh, plot holes that were created uh, I imagine if the writing staff had it their way, perhaps they probably would have laid a lot more groundwork. So now we're going to move on. Did you just not want to talk about this two out of three falls match? Did you just want to? Uh... Oh, no, I'm so I'm so ready to talk about it. Bobby Roode, Dolph Ziggler. Uh, I don't know why this needed to be two out of three falls, but we'll we'll discuss. Roode landed a blockbuster, got a two count early. They go to the floor. Corey Graves brings up that Dolph Ziggler saved the WWE 
from the authority several years ago at the Survivor Series, a moment no one remembers. This happened in 2014 when Sting uh, caused a distraction leading to Dolph Ziggler winning it for his team where the authority left forever. Yes. Forever. <laughs> We've never seen Triple H and Stephanie since Survivor Series 2014. And, you know, I, I, I remember that. The, I remember that, was, that moment. Remember, that was the latest Dolph Ziggler is now a star moment. To me, I mean, I, I actually think of that moment as the last time Dolph actually felt like he had potential to be a top star. Uh, I It's hard for me to think of another time since then where he seemed to have the... Uh, I guess I guess the backing of the audience as as much as he did at the end of that match. Yeah, I most go back to his title reign and then he got the concussion. But you're right. This was the last real moment he had, because even though he was not as focal as they made it out to seem here. I mean, coming out of that show, he was positioned as the savior of the company. Mm -hmm. And then the authority was back within uh, within a month. I think they were back on TV. So Rude then reenters the ring eats a super kick and is pinned in three minutes and 42 seconds. We go to a commercial break and we come back for the third fall. Now I know what you're thinking, John, did you not get enough sleep? You just said third fall. What about the second fall? Well, we got a picture in picture recap because the second fall occurred during the commercial break where Bobby Roode catapulted Ziggler into the post and pinned him. Dude, I like, oh man, I went back like two times to look for this um, second fall and I didn't realize until afterwards that it, they showed it in picture in picture. Oh my gosh. I well, just couldn't believe this. They did it during yeah. the commercial break. They booked a two out of three falls match knowing they had no time to do a two out of three falls match. Anyway. Well, I mean, I'm sure the people watching live also keep in mind, but they do the picture in picture for uh um, commercials in the U.S. I don't know if that was a, the, the case for this match. I would assume it was because this was the first match. Great. I don't live in the U.S., so I'm going to complain. Third fall saw the two go back and forth with lots of uh, near falls and and counters to one another. Ziggler went for the zigzag and Rude held on to the ropes. Then he delivered a spine buster. The glorious DDT got countered, hit the zigzag, big near fall on Rude. Ziggler then sets up for the super kick, misses going into the corner, and then they traded the roll-up spots, hooking the tights to tie it back to their first two matches, and it ended with Rude hitting the glorious DDT, pinning Ziggler, and joining Team SmackDown. I'll say of the matches they have had, I thought the third fall was the best these guys have come across. Uh, their house show sounded like they had some very good matches at the house shows. That chemistry did not make it onto TV or pay-per-view. But the third fall, I thought the crowd got into. I think it was somewhat, they just went into near falls, and it's kind of a crutch at times, and this maybe would be one of those. However, the audience responded to it, and thus it did work. I mean, I felt like this match was, even by the first fall, was already better than the other two matches. I, I mean, I think obviously they had a bit more time, at least it felt for this one. They had a bigger story to tell, and I just felt like the crowd even clicked with it a bit more just even one fall in. So I thought this definitely, to me, lived up to the standard that you'd expect from these two. And I would say by far Rude's best match since debuting on the roster. Renee then got into the ring to interview Rude. And he says that there are now three members of Team SmackDown. And he hopes the next two teammates show the same passion, compassion, and competitiveness. And then said, 
future t-shirt do you think he actually meant compassion or was it just a combination of passion and competitiveness uh i think he was just uh, why would he be looking for compassion in his teammates because he realizes that he may get drafted to raw so he wants to hurt them but not kill them he wants to he wants to damage the brand but not eliminate it Mm. all right i buy it he says at survivor series smackdown up raw down hashtag under siege the bob Uh, bot signing out i hate it when people actually say the word hashtag unless they're being facetious which i don't think he was here what if they take their first two fingers and they put them in the form of a hashtag what do you feel about that i mean that's at least kind of um i don't see somebody doing that without like a wink and a smirk you know what i mean that's something like uh what justin timberlake would probably do i i didn't get that sense from rude here then we go backstage and it is halloween and we are introduced to the new day consisting of jimmy hart akeem the african dream and brother love now jimmy hart and akeem were very good costumes in fact i think you should you should say who dressed up as who yeah jimmy hart was uh xavier woods biggie was dressed up as akeem and Kofi Kingston was dressed as Brother Love, not just with the hair, but his face was completely red and looked amazing. Dude, the, like if he showed up at any party in that getup, uh, I, everybody would, would have asked him for a photo. This was incredible. He looked amazing. 10 out of 10. I went to a Lucha T.O. card in Toronto this past Sunday, and they had a Halloween costume contest. And with all due respect to the winners, there was nobody at this show anywhere in the proximity of this brother love costume that Kofi Kingston uh, put together. This was phenomenal. In fact, the Akeem getup, I think, would have been really cool. However, if he painted himself white. uh, No, I was saying that to me, the Akeem (laughs) Halloween costume was already done tremendously well years ago by our friend Nug Nargang of Aftermath. Oh, and, right, yes. and he killed it. So it's like that visual exists for me already, the Akeem outfit. But I am sure that uh, maybe Big E was uh, listening to a one-man gang interview and thought, <laughs> hey, it's Halloween. Great idea. I'll tell you that the idea of an Akeem that is actually played by a black man is a bit of a mind trip. It is. He's You're right. He's a black man playing a white man playing a black man. Like it was, this was like Inception. And then you had Kofi Kingston using red face. I mean, there was a lot of just. Um, is that, I mean, is brother love red dichotomy here? Yeah, is brother love red face though? Like I mean, it, it's anyway. Yeah. Okay. So then we had Xavier. In his Jimmy Hart voice, which, I mean, to me, I, Jimmy Hart is... Uh, you do a good Jimmy Hart. This is not, not as good as yours, but I, I thought a valiant effort. Well, he tried. Kofi then does Brother Love, saying, I love candy. Okay, he, he looked 10 out of 10. Impression, maybe a 6. Little tough. Uh, Big E calls them Jive Soul Brothers. As uh, did I mention, Rusev and Aiden English had walked in, so that's who they are interacting with. Rusev takes their candy, asks what's wrong with them, and says, 
there's the possibility rocket show up and these guys are out giving candies to strangers. Xavier says we are ready to fight. Rusev calls Halloween a dumb holiday for dumb little children. And it's the only holiday, the only holiday that matters is Rusev Day, which Aiden starts singing. Rusev dumps the candy and then he stomps the candy. Big E then cuts a promo about his candy being dumped and makes a challenge to Rusev. I'm Rusev really has, Rusev has quietly become my favorite character in oh, the WWE. I'm loving Rusev and Aiden English together, but yeah, this this Rusev is a very different Rusev. He's more of a almost like a slapstick comedic villain who's just so over the top, and uh, his whole aim in life is to just basically try to push this Rusev Day concept on the rest of the world. And he'll ruin anyone, and it's good time just to do it. Uh, I th- I think he's great. I love his. I'm actually quite interact, uh, enjoying all these interactions backstage between uh, Rusev and English in the New Day. His timing and his wit are tremendous. Like so much mm-hmm. of it is his delivery and the timing of when he uses a line. Like we go back a few weeks ago when Aiden starts to sing and Rusev just immediately now is not the time. It was just so perfect. It's almost yeah. like this guy is just reading the scene, and if that moment was uh, a scripted line, it was just it was delivered at the perfect time. Something that was pointed out uh, on Reddit, actually, um, you remember a couple weeks back, Rusev or Renee was interviewing Rusev, and then Renee used some word, "How elated are you, Rusev?" And then Rusev's like, "What does that mean?" <laughs> so Rusev in this sketch comes over, and his first line was, "How elated are you guys?" Oh, that's funny. So he learned the word. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that's so subtle. I love I it. Becky is with uh, all of the women and gives them a pep talk about Survivor Series and is giving all the cliches about uh, united they will conquer, divided they will fall. But they all need to stand together because they know Raw is going to come and eventually retaliate. James Ellsworth is dressed up as a dog and starts barking and is then sprayed with water. They agree they're going to stick together. Natalia then wanders in, saying it's a shame she is not the captain. She'll be too busy defending the company's honor against Alexa Bliss, who she ran off to Raw, and says there is always a weak link on any team and asks who is the weak link going to be, citing Naomi and Charlotte, with Charlotte uh, being isolated here and Natalia telling her not to crack under the pressure because it's all going to be her fault. Hmm. It's interesting. Makes you wonder. Uh, I mean, obviously, the the connection that they're se- they seem to be drawing is Natty and Charlotte again. Um, I, I don't anticipate them doing a match like that before Survivor Series. So maybe they're they're already looking past it. Um, but I, I I like Becky in the role as captain. I think she plays. Eh, it's a good spotlight for her, and I think she does a good job. Um, you know, at least in this promo, I think. Um, but. The focus still, again, seems to be Charlotte. And now they seem to be working a storyline proposing that she is somebody who cracks under pressure because she lost last month and uh, proposes that she is the weak link in the group. Did she lose that match or was it like a DQ or something? The, the Which? Nat- Natalia match, Charlotte. Um. Which the... I, I don't even remember which match. From, from the pay-per-view? From the last pay-per-view? The, oh, it was they did the, the they did the DQ. Remember? Oh, right. Okay. They did the DQ after the um, Natalia just attacked her with a chair. Ah, yeah. Okay. Well, I guess I don't know then what what Natalia is proposing then. 
Well, maybe she meant uh, don't crack under pressure literally because last time I cracked your knee with a chair. Okay, I buy it. Next up was Baron Corbin against Sin Cara. I don't think this was a title match, so Sin Cara is just going to have to beat this guy 500 times before he can generate a title opportunity. No, he lost this one. Well, uh, I guess that's disputed because this was kind of just a no contest at the end. Hmm. Corbin is grabbing at Sin Cara's mask, and Sin Cara comes off the middle rope into an arm drag, drops him with a big boot. A lot of aggression out of Sin Cara in this. They fought to the floor after he pulls on the mask and they return. And then Corbin is tossed into the steps, and Sin Cara gets on top. He's dropping strikes, clips his knee, more shots on the floor, and then he tackles Corbin over the announcer's desk. And the bell is called after three minutes, and the match is thrown out. Sankara continues his attack, and then it's the return of the leading candidate for the 2017 Rookie of the Year, the office chair, which is tossed at Baron Corbin, and he runs away from Sankara through the crowd like a coward. This is a big chair. This was a huge chair. This yeah. chair could be in the 205 division. Wow. And would already be more over than <laughs> half the cruiserweights. I love this chair. I initially saw this feud as really nothing more than a kind of a, you know, a, a way to drag out Baron Corbin to keep him busy until Survivor Series with The Miz. I still feel that way, but I would say for a time filler feud that's already in its third week, they've they've done a better job than I, I think you could have expected. You know, when you say, when you tell somebody, hey, drag Baron Corbin versus Sin Cara out for a month, that's a pretty tough task. But here, I mean, I think they've built something a bit more interesting than your typical SmackDown TV match. I thought Sin Cara showed some great aggression here, uh, getting pissed off that Corbin kept going after his mask. And he, you know, he displayed a, a ton of aggression, which is probably not an easy thing to do with, with a mask over his face. So this is like up and down this show. We have all of these feuds, and Raw is not that different. We have all these feuds that are contained to the television for now. Mm -hmm. and exactly, got... exactly what we expected. Yeah, so I get the sense that this is going to be a title versus mask match at some point. Mm, perhaps, yeah. I mean, uh, but uh, then what do you do then? Take the mask off or give Maybe. him the belt? They might unmask I see. I see no upside to unmasking Sin Cara. Or he gets the title. I see no upside to that either. Well, then this feud has really no point then if you don't have any desire to do anything. The point, I uh, think, is just to keep Cor Corbin busy. But hmm. we, go, we go backstage with Renee and the Usos, who are asked about their match against Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose. The Usos are the only ones who are focused on the Survivor Series and their opponents. They're not getting dragged down by anyone. Oh, I should not say that because we actually do have a feud with them. They are going to prove that they are the A-team of this supposed B-brand and says SmackDown is the A-show when Benjamin and Gable enter and state that they have been granted a title match next week. And then Gable and Benjamin did their own back-and-forth promo, which is going to be very hard for me to recap. But it went something like this. Oos, no, you got to go. New. Tag champs. You feeling me on that, Oos? 
This was delivered a hundred times better than I just did. But this was, um, did this work or completely fail for you? The Chad Gable, Shelton Benjamin promo. Well, I, I know they're trying to be deliberately lame. I, I mean, I just, I, I, I don't know. I think like in 2017, the, the mock rap thing doesn't really come across that well, even if you're trying to be deliberately lame. Um, I would have appreciated an actual attempt for for Gable and Benjamin to rap here, I feel. But not to even say that the Rus- the Usos are necessarily rapping. They're just like, their promos are not them rapping. It's just a high energy. And um, I was far more impressed with the Usos, I thought, even though they weren't really the focal point of this. I, I just love their promo style. I love their energy. They're clear- clearly baby faces right now, uh, putting over SmackDown as the A brand. And... Huh. You know, I'll, I'm not, like I'm a big fan of theirs, and I hope they they keep the belts uh, after ne- next week's match, which I think they will. Yeah, I, I don't think you're gonna switch the titles at all, especially when you have that match at Survivor Series. So this is just keeping them busy for like a week. I feel the Singh brothers introduced Jinder Mahal, who cut a promo on Brock Lesnar. He said he will be conquered, and Jinder will be the Beast Master. The Beast Master. Yeah. That sounds like some weird um, kind of... Sounds like a magic card. Um, yeah, I was going to go with like some kind of weird kind of weird fetish that hmm. is like some term you would use in the deep, dark Reddit sub subreddits. The Beastmaster? It's like, oh, oh, that guy, he's a, he's a Beastmaster. Hmm, okay, yeah. It's like, oh, I, he never struck me as... He's into that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, he's full on Beastmaster. Um, I think I think uh, it's a weird tagline. I'm sure that exists. I'm sure if you went on one of those websites. Uh, Can you imagine if the, pay, if the big payoff is Jinder gets like a count out victory over Brock Lesnar and he proclaims himself the Beastmaster. That is going to be the the legacy of Survivor Series. Um that would be strange. He doesn't ca- strike me as a beastmaster. What he does strike me is, as is he he he's somebody straight out of the eighties, and so I think Jinder really just kind of feels like a kids movie villain. But Brock, his whole thing is about legitimacy. This is a guy who dominated the UFC. Has Paul Heyman here bring up some very very real life attributes to him in almost every promo, and he feels very believable. So you got one guy here who feels incredibly genuine in Brock Lesnar, and the other guy feels like a caricature. So uh, to me, it's it's a little disjointed. And even, like, Heyman's been cutting these great promos on Raw, pointing out some very real concerns with Mahal, or at least some, some like, some uh, uh, like his promos are rooted in reality. You know what I mean? Mahal hasn't proven himself. He's kind of a, a, a laughing stock of all the other champions. But, like, Jinder, he has no comebacks he doesn't address anything that Heyman specifically mentions. All he does is just go, you know, comes comes out and does his kind of catchphrasey spiel every single week. So it's a build that has f- felt a little disjointed for me thus far. Yeah, I think that there's there's material too that Jinder could use that, um, you know, him and Brock are the longest reigning champions at the moment in the on the main roster. And hey, let's compare our resumes, Brock. I've defended my title against all these guys. I'm here every single week defending my title all over the world. And where are you? 
You know, it could be it, it, at least give them some ammunition here. Yeah, something. I mean, it's something. I think in the eyes of your audience, though, there there is the, such a discrepancy because one champion, the audience feels is legitimate. The other, they see as a guy who's simply being given this opportunity that he's not deserving of. Mm. And I feel like, the, I mean, that is something that gender can actually use to further the heel heat. That he can he can gain from you know an, an already lowered expectation of him. Maybe this is all leading to Jinder's good friend, UFC heavyweight Arjun Buler showing up at the Survivor Series to take out Brock. Wow! And how do you think that match would go? What Arjun Buler versus Brock Lesnar. Yeah, what weight class is he? They're both heavyweights. Oh, okay. Well, book it. AJ Styles then took on Samir Singh. This lasted 36 seconds with Styles hitting the Styles Clash and pinning him. And then Jinder immediately attacked AJ, threw him ribs first into the post, bent him around the post, and hoisted the title over the fallen AJ Styles. Our other backup program. I think we have the whole Clash of the Champions card all set for December. Yeah, I guess so. I guess that's what Clash... uh, I mean, I'm guessing that's what they're building up towards. Uh... If not, just a, a big addition of SmackDown at some point. It's kind of weird that we're literally having a Clash of the Champions as the main uh, event of the Survivor Series. And then we're going to come back with a title defense. Hmm. Kevin Owens is backstage in the locker room with Sami Zayn. Zayn just calls it unbelievable that Shane has named himself team captain in the land of opportunity. And complains about Randy Orton winning last week with a low blow. And says, what kind of man does that? Which was great considering it was the complete reversal of Zayn beating Orton the week prior. Owens is going to beat Nakamura, he says, and then lead them to victory, and then Shane is going to owe them, and we will get everything that we want. This will be our show, the Sammy and Kevin show, Owens says. I I really like Owens retaining his goal of someday taking over SmackDown. In this entire feud with Shane, that's been everything that he's wanted, is to take over SmackDown. And I still look forward to the day when he uh, wins a big feud, and then we see uh, the the different, uh, like an opening graphic that's totally different with Kevin Owens. Maybe music that's like sung by Kevin Owens. Um, No, it's got to be ska music. Awful ska music. Okay, sure. Yeah, terrible ska music to open the show. Owens and Zayn are dancing in the opening graphics. Goodness, yeah. Um, you got to change the name though, like Zane down. No, no, that's terrible. Anyway, these two are playing so nice to each other that everybody watching is just waiting to see who will turn on the other first. I and I, I, I think it's great. I think it's like, ah, they're so, they're so gross together, and that you know, like they're just being fake. And I think they both do such a great job of it. Then we had our highlight. Back to the woods for the Bludgeon Brothers. We had our heavy Darth Vader breathing. And then, sit back, everybody. We've got the entire promo here. There is only one cure for mortal decay and for weakness, suffering, misery, anguish, pain. We are the cure. Harper, Rowan, Bludgeon Brothers. They are the cure. Yeah, the Robert Smith. 
It's the same type of shitty Bray Wyatt promo, except done by two people. Um, same visuals as all the others. They probably just use that same clip of them like hammering that camera into the ground uh, every single time. But what is this, like the fourth one now? It's just like, to me, it's just whatever. They've already kind of lost their effect. Another I, cameraman died for this vignette. I can't, like, repeat what they're actually saying because I don't understand what they're saying. You know? They're the cure for what? Mortal decay. Which, I mean, break what that is, down. So, like, mortal decay, like, if I was given a an illness and told I had six months to live and I'm right on my deathbed, I'm 30 pounds, I've just shriveled, I'm just about to flatline, and here are the Bludgeon Brothers that are the cure for mortal decay and for weakness, which, not to split hairs, but, I mean, if I'm suffering from mortal decay, it's a given I'm weak. Suffering, misery, anguish, pain. We are the cure. So are you going to reverse the effects of this? Is that a threat to anybody on this roster? Are you coming to make people stronger? Yeah, they're like nurses. They're doing the opposite of threatening. They're, they are like uh, penicillin or something. Maybe that should be it. The penicillin pals. Mm. The bludgeon brothers. You're just going to uh, theoretically add to my decay. Weaken me down further. You are the bludgeon brothers. You are going to bludgeon me on top of this? I'm already dying. Everything that they've done up to this point seems like it's a great setup for, like, a comedic act. You know, like an over-the-top, two big guys who are who pretend to be really serious but are actually just two goofballs. Um, it the seems, Ascension. They've got yeah, that team. Essentially, they've got that team exactly. playing that role. Exactly. Why do we need another? It took the Ascension maybe, what, like three years to for them to figure out, hey, we should probably go the comedy route with these guys. Uh, I, I, Let's hope it doesn't take that long with the Bludgeon Brothers. And let's hope, you know, how about we uh, just we, we, we try to package these guys in a way that that is not laughable. I think I would prefer that. Ben Rusev is in the ring with Aiden English and tells everyone to be silent. Halloween's for little ghouls and adults who act like fools. Xavier, Kofi, Big E can play, but never on a Rusev Day. He's singing all of this, by the way. Rusev, as he proclaims Rusev Day, Rusev just spreads his arms out, and he has such pride at this proclamation of what today is, and then is cut off by the New Day's entrance. Rusev took on Akeem one-on-one. There was an abdominal stretch applied by Big E, and then he was sent to the floor. They go through a commercial break. Series of belly-to-belly suplexes by Big E, then grinds over top and hits a mid-ring splash to Rusev. Both are down in the corner. English starts singing on top of the announcer's desk, so Xavier starts playing his trombone. English goes after Woods. Kofi, as brother love, chases him into the ring, right into a big ending to Aiden English, and then Rusev super kicks Big E and pins him. Mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of cute with all the costumes, and I found the match, though, kind of largely forgettable. I, I feel like I expected almost more Halloween um, integration into the show, but I'm I'm glad they only kept it to the New Day for the most part, which who I think pull it off the best. It was all saved for 205 Live's main event. Oh, I can't wait. Renee spoke to Sinkara. Now, if you thought Cesaro sounded uh, rough with his mouthpiece, 
They had Sin Cara have to cut a promo through his mask, which does not have an opening for the mouth. So he sounded like he was a he was a hostage here on national television. He talked about how disrespectful Baron was, and he went through hell to get his mask, and he will go through hell to keep it. This was so muffled. It was just so jarring to listen to. Right. I feel like it's nothing new because, like, I'm sure in, in Mexico, even, like, in WCW, I feel like luchadors would just talk through their mask and we'd accept it. Like, imagine, okay, imagine if Spider-Man had to talk. He'd sound like this. But um, for WWE TV, I, yeah, it's probably, they probably hold, I guess, audio quality to a different standard. I don't think it would be, you know, weird for Sin Cara to simply pull up the mouth on, on the mask to talk. You know? By the way, I, I can't remember the last time I heard this guy speak. It's been a while. Yeah. Might, might be the first time in years. I thought he came across pretty well, though. I mean, I think better than Kalisto. Shane had his neck arched as he was texting. A bad sign. Ooh. For his posture. Aiden English walks in. And he laughs about Daniel Bryan being hurt. Shane says. I love Halloween. Rusev charges in proclaiming it's Rusev Day. And said I put a big L on Big E's record. And he wants to be on the Survivor Series team. But Shane says he has to earn a spot next week. When Rusev will take on AJ Styles. The winner is on the team. And then Shane sings the words good luck. Done terribly. Hmm. My Shane, yeah, sorry. Shane, sorry. One of my biggest things I, I really disliked about Shane at times was that this guy was never willing to be the butt of a joke, it always felt like. It always seemed like this guy always had to maintain this tough guy persona, which I found very hard to stomach. And it just seems that he's really he's really let go of that. Yeah, yeah. He's again. I think he does a great job playing that kind of cool, hip young boss that that is kind of charismatic that you kind of like. He's like, what's what's one of those guys? One of those startup guys? You know what I'm talking about? Like, okay, whatever. What like with that Sean? Is that the Sean who? This Facebook dude? What's his name? Okay, whatever. I have no idea. Never mind. But uh, I think he's yeah he does a good job of being playful. But I know what you're talking about because uh, on Talking Smack he would come across as this kind of ultra serious stuck up dude who just refuses to let his guard down. I agree with you. He's kind of changed that in recent weeks. All right, then we went to something that I waited for all week: the Stranger Earth Things parody, and we started with the synth style opening with. Chapter 20, The Right Side Up. And this was very much a parody of all the stuff from season one. I felt no one in this uh, parody watched season two yet. So, way you were probably in on all of this. I actually, yeah, I understood everything. So, they have the various tag teams on the wall with the Christmas lights around them. Fandango then feeds a waffle to someone underneath a desk hidden. And then Tyler Breeze walks in dressed up as Eleven. And he's carrying waffles, but instead of egos, they read Uggos, which was clever. Pretty clever. Victor then walks in and he's Barb, which Tyler, playing the big heel, says, 
Barb sucked. And then the person from underneath the table emerges and they say, it's another 11. He says, no, I'm a 10 and it's Ty Dillinger. So he takes the Uggos. Connor then appears and is dressed as Kane for Halloween. The lights go out and the Christmas lights light up around the Bludgeon Brothers picture. We then go to dark and then we see a screen inside of the room and in the reflection is a figure that turns around with a mask on and says, let the games begin. Hmm. Okay, interesting. I thought as a parody, they had some clever lines in this. I didn't think this was a a blow-away great segment. Have any of them been blow-away great segments? No! No, they have not. No. I think that people are wanting these to be great and are therefore bell curving these segments for their own liking well yeah i mean i i know but again i know plenty of people that do love these and i think they're probably not grading it the same way that maybe you would grade it or maybe i would grade it you know you're you're coming in expecting just kind of the feel of uh uh, I don't know, a homemade movie. Somebody come, just friends getting together to, to you know, create some stupid thing. Um, I, I enjoyed this one definitely more than some of the recent ones. Probably, probably because I got most of the references. And maybe, ultimately, that's what these things come down to, is how much of the references you get. But I'll say, like, what was the last one? Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction? Well, it was kind of both, because the underwear was apparently a Pulp Fiction reference. It was Pulp Fiction last week, wasn't it? No, it, no. It, it, Pulp Fiction it was, was a Reservoir Dogs one, but they put a Pulp Fiction reference oh, yeah. in the Reservoir Dogs parody. Okay. So uh, perhaps, you know, if I understood that reference, maybe I would have loved last week. But maybe a lot of these will, will come down to how familiar you are with, with the source material. I don't know. I think it's fair to say that these segments, they twin peaked months ago. And anyway... This did have a plot point at the end with this mysterious figure appearing. Yeah, what is that? I don't know. I thought we were going to get the 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 Demogorgon Finn Balor at the end. Hmm. But I guess not. Kevin Owens, Shinsuke Nakamura, main event time. Uh, they went through a break right away. Owens had this long headlock. Nakamura got out, hit the running knee to the ribs. Then Sami Zayn comes down ringside, and this caused Nakamura to be rolled up for a two-count. Owens then stopped Nakamura on the turnbuckle, hitting a fisherman buster. And then the pop-up gets countered with a Hurricane Rana, runs his knee into the face of Owens. And then as he's setting up for the Kinshasa, Zayn pulls Owens to the floor. So Nakamura goes for Zayn and gets shoved into the steps. Owens rolls him in, hits a frog splash, gets another two count. And then Randy Orton's music plays. And Owens is focused on the entrance when Orton comes from the crowd, drops Sammy onto the announcer's desk, Nakamura capitalizes, hitting a spinning heel kick and landing the Kinshasa to pin Kevin Owens and join the SmackDown team. Meanwhile, Sammy is selling the deadly effects of this slam onto the table as we end this show. He never recovered from this table. There's like a bottles of water on that table. No, it's a it's a hard table. I I, I thought the crowd I found they were really hot for um uh the in particular the last several minutes but to me the match itself really just kind of felt like an above average tv match yeah it was okay that's about yeah. all i'm i'm willing to state do you know who likes to hashtag who loves to hashtag braun Strowman. 
they show here, like at the beginning of the match, so Kurt Angle, uh, t- they show Kurt Angle's tweet about announcing Braun, and they show Braun's response on Twitter. Oh my God, where it's like <laughs> he uses instead of typing the word Y O U, he uses the letter U. I guess he's trying to conserve um, characters space, but the idea of first of all Braun Strowman tweeting and thinking about character limits and ending it with hashtag Braun Smash in all caps, not a visual I'd want for your number one monster. Here are some of the latest tweets from Braun Strowman. The monster. Get your tickets to see me at Ringside Seas Ringside Fest, Sunday, October 29th, Times Square, NYC. Tickets available at ringsidefest.com. Sure, whatever. He's got to... I feel like destroying something. Hashtag raw. Just a snack before I hashtag feast on the beast. Hashtag no mercy. Oh, God. Listen. He is a big hashtagger. Come on, man. Like, (laughs) I I think there's really something to be said about maintaining your character um, maybe outside. But, like, especially for your... He does somewhat for Twitter, but he has stated, like, Instagram, he's himself. Yeah. He's not playing Braun Strowman on Instagram, which is a weird... Divide. Fine, I get that. Sure, I can, I can, I can respect that. But I feel like on on Twitter, or at least when you're like cutting, you're, when you're responding in character, like he was against Kurt Angle, you got to think about what your character would actually do. Okay, and that includes limiting your hashtags. Hashtags aren't. How many people are are like joining your discussion because of you know you typed in hashtag Braun Smash? I think it would have been way more effective to like. Mash your keys or something, you know, like a bunch of typos, because I, I assume a monster wouldn't have proper uh, t- uh, typing on an iPhone because his fingers are so fat or just like, I, I guess he wouldn't use emojis. OK, no, but something that that it would be believable in, I guess, a, a modern age for uh, the character to, to to speak through social media. Just lay off the hashtags, Braun. OK, you know, what's weird. He joined Twitter in August 2013, and he has 24 tweets, which means this guy's a deleter. Oh, he's a tweet and deleter. Wow. That's a new thing, apparently, with kids. They just, everything is like, I don't know if it's influenced by Snapchat or what, but it's like, I've known people, I've heard of people who do this for Instagram. They'll like take photos, post them, and then they'll just delete them. I'm I'm surprised. I mean, you can get programs now where you delete your tweets. I'm I'm sure that that is going to take off with tons of people who are going to be frightened at the idea of oh my god what did i tweet when i was 21 years old and now i am uh 31 so then why tweet at all it's a wonderful question but you you go through different stages of adulthood where maybe i mean people have lost jobs over past tweets so why not just tweet things that you think won't uh won't get you in that much trouble any, well, that would be a time. logical approach to Twitter, but not everybody approaches it like that. And some have been elected to very high levels of government without having any repercussion. So that was SmackDown. Uh, we had our Survivor Series team pretty much taking shape here with uh, the remaining spots set up for next week. I guess what? We have one more spot with the AJ Rusev spot. So what is it? Shane Owens? Uh, Orton. No, Shane, Shane Nakamura. Oh yeah, sorry, Nakamura, Orton, Orton. and, and Rude. Rude, right? Yeah. So one more spot, which uh, I think we can assume 
who that will be. be. Yeah. Yep. So pretty much have the teams laid out there. Um, okay. Episode of SmackDown. I didn't think that anything was, uh, you know, the third fall of Rudin Ziggler. I think the audience got into that. Uh, Brother mm-hmm. Love and Rusev. Those are my highlights of sure. SmackDown. Yeah. I thought Shane did a good job too. Um, you know, uh, progressing things, finally giving us a bit of an explanation, which I think, I, you know, I know you're not as satisfied by. But um, you know, overall, the sh- though, uh, unfortunately, the show and what we expected with Survivor Series is that it's going to feel like it's it's in a whole, bit of a holding pattern. It's going to feel disjointed from the pay per view that they they're 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 pushing for a lot of these programs. So. Um, We'll just bear with it for, what, two more weeks? Yeah, I mean, Clash of the Champions is into December. I mean, if they do position things right, at least you're not... You can have these programs all designed to peak for December and not uh, necessarily um, blow through them immediately. You have all these matches set up, and it's just maintaining interest for a longer period of time, which typically this company can struggle with when they have too much time in between shows. So we'll see how they um, balance this because Raw does not have that same problem. After the Survivor Series, they don't have another pay-per-view till the Royal Rumble. Hmm. So are you ready now for a quick 205 Live review? Yes, I am. Okay, well, the show began with Drew Gulak coming out asking, where are my ghouls at? And he started the Akira Tozawa chant and he brings up Halloween has been ingrained by the machine and says Halloween could be better. So he has a PowerPoint presentation for a better Halloween. So we get the graphic for his presentation with his face on a pumpkin. Slide number one, no candy, which causes all of these boos from the fans. Like this was a law that was being passed tonight because they were going to go trick-or-treating after these tapings. He says he blames high fructose for kids climbing to the top rope and jumping off, and that a root canal is scarier than a ghost, and he suggests you have a sweet potato instead if you need something sweet. Rule number two for a better Halloween, no trick-or-treating. We have evolved past this. It's the same thing as chanting, and nothing is worse than chanting. And then he is interrupted by Akira Tozawa, who came out for their match. Entertaining segment, I thought, from Drew Gulak. Hmm. Yeah, I've, I, it seems like he they they love him. They've given him a lot of airtime, and it seems like he's done actually a very good job with the character. Uh, they had a decent back and forth match. Tozawa used the head scissors, belly to back suplex, climbed to the top, and Gulak rolled to the floor. So Tozawa landed a suicide dive, and then Gulak landed a forearm to the throat. Got a roll-up on Tozawa for two. Tozawa gets up in Saguri, then back to the top and lands his senton and won the match in five minutes, 56 seconds. So I think with Drew Gulak, it's they feel they can just beat this guy repeatedly, but you just give him mic time. That character is going to uh, stay as over as you're going to be in this division. And I don't know if that's necessarily the wrong thinking because I think some of these matches are just... I, I don't know how much people are into these matches. I feel I've watched Akira Tozawa and Drew Gulak have 100 matches. Have you heard the rumor about um, possibly a change-up in, in, in the roster for 205 Live? A little bit, but summarize it for us. 
Um, well, I mean, I, I, I don't want to paraphrase, um, but um, I just read something about uh, possibly some changes happening in the division that some people, perhaps the ones that aren't called up uh, for this tour that they're currently on, um, may not return. Or, uh, I, I, again, I don't want to paraphrase, so I don't even know where, where the source was. But let's say, let's just speculate, okay, and say some roster changes are coming. Who of the current roster would you keep and uh, you know i assume the people that they're giving tv time to somebody like drew gulak you could assume would be kept but um or maybe we save this question for the end of the show um yeah i mean i think anyone that's featured on television is probably like you need to fill this show this 205 live show i don't see them getting rid of the show but they have signed a bunch of cruiserweights some of which you go weeks without seeing and yeah those those kinds of people would probably uh, be on the bubble if you were looking to uh, contract. So, I mean, I don't like to pick out guys that, you know, are going to be uh, in trouble. No, of but, course not. No, I, I, this I, is a division that is failing. I mean, there's no denying that. And then you have to look at, well, how many guys are we featuring on our show versus how many we have under contract? And I mean, this show is not growing. This show is not going on the road as a 205 Live property. Maybe that was their hope a year ago that we could get a third brand out of this. And that's far from the case. Yeah, believe me, I would hate to see anybody lose a job. But um, I think I, I just I'm just trying to speculate, you know, given what TV time and who they're pushing on the on the shows, who they have their eyes on keeping, if that were to be the case. Well, I would say Drew Gulak, I think, is very secure. I think that they have really found something with this guy. Hmm. I agree. Cedric Alexander and Rich Swan were backstage. Alexander was shocked that Brian Kendrick and Jack Gallagher thought that he would ditch Rich Swan and join them. And in the process, they called Rich Swan a clown. So Cedric says, you can't let them run you down like that and call you a clown. And then says, let's show them a clown and hands rich swan a clown nose and swan seems to love this idea so then we had a tape promo with mustafa ali who's in tonight's uh whatever it is four-way our fatal trick-or-treat four-way match he says growing up in chicago trick-or-treating wasn't easy you'd run into a monster or two and he learned always get your candy as he held up a bucket of candy this was like a kind of corny promo that didn't have a punchline to it at the end. They had officially announced Enzo versus Kalisto for the Survivor Series for the Cruiserweight title. Brian Kendrick came out with Jack Gallagher, and then Doink the Clown's music played, and out came Cedric Alexander in clown makeup and Rich Swan dressed as a clown. Swan got knocked to the floor, and he just wrestled a normal Rich Swan match while as a clown. Swan leaped with a hurricane run off the turnbuckle. A tiger bomb was blocked by Kendrick. Kendrick then hit a reverse vertical suplex, got the captain's hook applied, but Swan's leg was under the bottom rope. He hit a butterfly suplex off the second turnbuckle. Applied The captain's hook was avoided, so Swan super kicked Kendrick to the floor. Swan hit a somersault dive and then returned to the ring. Alexander yanked Gallagher off the apron, and Kendrick stopped Swan, took a kick to the head, and Swan won with the Phoenix Splash. Um, average match, and uh, whatever they thought, maybe the audience would find it so entertaining to see a guy dressed as a clown, they did not. So this was just hmm. a weird match to watch, and more B-roll for our eventual 
why did the 205 Live division not work? And here's Cedric and Rich Swan dressed as clowns. Hmm. Really lends itself to that kind of story. Mm-hmm. Then we had something you would have loved, Way, a Grand Metalik promo, subtitled, by the way. Today marks the first day of the dead where we celebrate our ancestors, and he is inviting his ancestors to watch with pride and will pay them tribute. So um, I don't know if his ancestors have the WWE Network or not, but they were invited to watch tonight's Fatal 4-Way, which of all matches, this is the one you'd want to alert your ancestors to tune in and watch. (laughs) They're promoting this 4-Way as the spookiest main event in 205 Live history which covers some ground. Arya Davari comes out. He is continuing to call himself Dinero Davari. And he says that there is a horror story about a cruiserweight division that was disappearing. The zeros in the people's bank accounts were disappearing. They say 205 Live was cursed. And then there was a knock on the door. And no one wanted to answer the door, but he did. And he let in Enzo. And then he insults Virginia and gets interrupted by Mustafa Ali. I think that Arya Davari has certainly turned a corner as a promo just over the past week or two. I agree this, with you. I this think this is another good promo. Well, I think like getting away from the stereotypical, uh, you know, uh, foreigner, uh, rich foreigner gimmick is way better for him. And you can see that the, the man is, is a lot more than just, um, you know, the stereotypical gimmick. He's. He's uh, actually just a good promo in general. I'm glad they're letting, giving him time to speak. So main event, there was a lot here. This was all the leftover props from our tag match on Raw. The ring was full of pumpkins. We had our uh, bucket full of apples that they could bob for. And, of course, the candy corn kendo sticks. So at the beginning of the match, Mustafa Ali has one of those tiny miniature chocolate bars. And he offers it to Grand Metalik. But Metalik is confused because he has a mask on. What can I do with food? And he has to play like he's an idiot here that doesn't know how to consume a chocolate bar before he finds out that he can turn his mask up and have the chocolate bar. Davari <laughs> takes another piece of candy, and Tony Nese refuses the candy and swats it away. So the match begins, Way. This is all what you missed. Mm, okay, well. Ali hits Tony Nese with a pumpkin to the face. Then Ali gets a toy skeleton, toy skeleton, puts another mask on top of it, tosses the skeleton to Davari, and then Metalik comes off the turnbuckle with a crossbody, uh, sorry, drop kicks the skeleton, which is in the arms of Davari. Then there are kendo stick shots. Mustafa Ali gets placed in the tree of woe position, and instead of Tony Nese doing the sit-ups and kicking him in the tree of woe, he did sit-ups with pumpkins so that when he did his crunches, he threw a pumpkin into the chest of Ali. And he did this with like three consecutive pumpkins. Nice then lands a forearm on Davari by mistake. And this causes Davari to fall into the bucket of apples on the floor. Metalik then dove off the top and took Nice down. A candy bar gets shoved into Tony Nice's mouth. And then he is super kicked because Tony Nice does not eat candy. You see, Then there was a Tower of Doom spot to Ali, who landed, and then out of nowhere, there's a splash from Davari from the opposite corner getting a near fall. Davari gets placed on a table, and Tony Nese is uh, attacking with a kendo stick, and then he grabs a bag, 
like the typical bag you would associate with thumbtacks. And he goes to pour it out. And Tony Nese expects thumbtacks to be in there. But instead, it's pieces of candy corn that go over top of the table. He then climbs up and metalik back body drops Nice through the table full of candy corn as Nigel proclaims that simple carbs are to Tony Nice what garlic is to vampires. Davari then gets hit with a sweet potato pie to the face and then Mustafa Ali is on the floor, sees a witch's broom, grabs the broom, climbs to the top, puts the witch's broom between his legs and executes a drop a drop a leg drop and pins Arya Davari in 12 minutes and 57 seconds it sounds kind of fun actually it had its moments it was maybe a little too long the crowd was not interested in this I would say at all hmm. they were probably pretty tired and realizing this is our Halloween watching this but this was infinitely better than Monday's episode of or tag match on Raw. Mm, I will say okay. that. All right. Um, well, I mean, at least they're having fun. They are having fun, I guess. Hmm. Uh, so that was 205 Live. Um, kind of a weird show. A weird Halloween-themed edition of 205 Live. Hmm. Okay, cool. Thank you. So there you have it. That is uh, our show. Hey, uh, how, hey, you went to the Lucha T.O. show on Monday, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I did want to mention that on Sunday I went to the uh, the Lucha right, T.O. Sunday, show. Sunday. Yeah. Um, and it was a unique setup because Lucha T.O. and Smash Wrestling were both running shows on Sunday. And I don't know how the Smash show did, uh, but they usually attract like pretty good crowd. And at this Lucha T.O. show, I mean, I, I'm bad at reading audiences, but I would guess there were about uh, 175 or so people at this. They were running at Lee's Palace at Bathurst and Bloor. And it was a fun show. It had a um, number of interesting characters on the show. Glacier was a part of this who came out. And during the middle of their six-man tag, all the guys, like the Mortal Kombat theme played. So everyone started dancing with the exception of Glacier. And I thought this was going to lead to him doing the big spot at the end where he dances for the big pop. But never happened. He just watched all this from the edge of the apron and just let all the other guys dance. So... Uh, that was strange. And I guess the other notable fact was this was Jimmy Jacobs' first match since March of 2015 when he was signed by WWE. He was in the opening six-man uh, and was around for the whole show and ended up getting the pinfall with the Contra code. And this guy, like, he brawled all over the place. Like, Lee's Palace is uh, pretty much like a – what would you describe it? Like a dance hall. It's not huge. It's so he's Sorry, it wasn't the dance cave. It was actual Lee's Palace. Yes. It's a concert venue. Yeah. yeah. So he he bumped all over the place. He, like, came right by the – he did a cross body off of the bar. Um, so wow, anyway, cool. Yeah, that that would have been that would have been really bizarre to see. I've seen so many bands at Lee's Palace and to see, like, Jimmy Jacobs doing a, a moonsault or something off the bar would have been weird. Oh, it was a, it was a high cross. I mean, it was uh, – not a moon. Oh, okay. I guess it wouldn't have been weird then. No, no, no. It was perfectly normal. I'm sure they get cross bodies all the time. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a fun show. Um, there's a very strong um, Ontario Toronto uh, wrestling scene. So I just mm. wanted to mention the uh, the Lucha Tio show. So they are they're actually renaming themselves now Demand Lucha because they have launched a streaming service uh, with 
their shows and some others as well that are part of that. So anyway, I had cool. a fun time at the show and there were some, uh, uh, Jeff Cobb was on the show as well. Um, he was part of the main event, real tremendous talent. Jeff Cobb is, he's going to be part of the, uh, the G one tag league tournament coming up, uh, later this month in new Japan. And I think he's going to excel in that environment. So I'm looking forward to seeing Jeff Cobb in that tournament. Anyway, that's, uh, that is it. Um, anything you would like to say? You know, uh, not not a whole lot, except for the fact that, again, thank you, everybody, for reaching out for your support. And first of all, thank you guys even more for even taking the time to find this podcast. Um, you know, it's it's a very temporary home, as you can probably imagine. Apologies if you're not having if you're having some issues downloading the shows and uh, it not appearing on iTunes. We're simply looking for the the most direct way to to connect with you guys uh during this period so if you have any suggestions uh you know that please let us know i'm always open to to hearing various things slide into those dms um sure yeah i mean i I apologize if i haven't been able to get back to you i mean just just because i'm i'm just taking my time i want to stay away from the computer a little bit Whereas, and and just not, you know, but I'll I'll get back to everything. But again, like, especially any type of technical advice or even just advice about, you know, um, uh, this type of thing. I'd love to hear from people who have had experience. So thank you all. Um, It looks like, you know, uh, the best way to communicate with us is through either our personal Twitters uh, or Instagrams or Facebooks. We'll, We'll always be around and you'll be able to reach us if you want to. Can I end the show with an analogy way? Sure. I love my analogies. I would say it's been a very, it's been a pretty strange week for everybody. And I know a lot of people are curious of what is next for myself and way. And I think the only, the language we can all speak this week is that of stranger things. And that if me and way were an organism at the moment, collectively me and way are the first appearance of dart in season two. And I would say, that we are the very beginning stage of dart and we're just getting a whiff of our first piece of a three musketeers bar and wow that sounds like all a, I, that's all i'm gonna say it sounds like a bludgeon brothers promo you're cutting for us here pollock way people people sorry i tried to do it in unison i wasn't sure what you were gonna say i was kind of waiting i didn't know either uh. All right. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Yeah, stay, tu- stay tuned. I mean, maybe we'll, we'll uh, as far as our, our uh, uh, next shows, who knows? But uh, we'll definitely be back next Monday, at least. So, but stay tuned otherwise. All right. Uh, Monday, we will speak with you, if not before. And thank you very much for listening. We mean that very sincerely. Mm-hmm. And we will chat with you all soon. Excuse me, Bruce, you seem elated. What does that mean? Excited. I, of course I'm excited. Just beat the Viper. How are you? I'm sure you just saw what I did to Big E. I, I, I put a big L on Big E. Win-loss column. Mm-hmm. How elated are you? Oh, I'm very, I'm very psyched for you.